friends, brothers and sisters in recovery, anxiety warriors, and welcome to 40,000 Steps Radio. I'm your host, Christopher Heimerman, and I am not a licensed healthcare professional, not a doctor or a counselor, not a licensed psychologist, and I am not a self-mastery coach. However, I do have one on the podcast. Will Black of The Balanced Self joins us to talk about his journey through sobriety, his program, and so very, very much more. I'm grateful for him joining us. I'm grateful to you for being here and helping us build this community. I am looking out the window, and guess what? It's a beautiful day to get our 40,000 steps in. So let's get it. Content warning, this is a mind-altering episode. Will Black and I talk about psychedelics, specifically we talk about psilocybin, mushrooms, ayahuasca, and we talk about these things because about a year and a half ago, Will experienced ayahuasca for the first time and he used that to kind of clear out all of the gunk and all of the trauma of his past. This is not something that I plan to use. It is not for everybody as he will explain. So this is your official content warning. Now I should also add a trigger warning as Will is going to talk about his recovery. We're going to talk very briefly about his time drinking So if that is going to be triggering for you, there are so many other episodes of 40,000 Steps and I highly recommend them. Now, with that said, this was a mind-blowing episode. And my favorite thing about doing this podcast is that it's kind of like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Like I knew I was going to talk with Will about recovery. I knew we were going to talk about yoga, mindfulness, meditation. I had no idea that we were going to talk about ayahuasca. So I had that moment where I was like, do we really want to do this? What's his comfort level like? What is my audience's comfort level like? And sort of (laughs) my gears were turning in real time at high speed. And I, and I made the decision that look for a lot of the listeners, there's going to be some stuff we talk about in this podcast that could be life-saving. There's so many different programs and really no two programs are perfectly alike for me. My program is physical fitness, that being running, distance running, lifting weights, uh, therapy and medication, huge part of my program. Sharing my story is crucial to my sobriety, Uh, mindfulness, meditation, huge pillars of my program as well. So that's mine. Uh, But when I hear Will talk about the transformative experience of doing ayahuasca, that could be absolutely clutch for somebody out there. And frankly, to me, it is absolutely fascinating. And the work that he did with ayahuasca, it's very, very much an analogy for all of the work that we do in recovery, where 
you know, as we reflect and we examine and we do the daily work, you know, we are clearing out so much trauma and gunk that we've gone through. At least I hope you're doing that. And you know what, if you're not, you know, what you should do is you should go to willowenblack.com or you can simply Google the balanced self and you'll find your way there and consider, you know, working with Will as a self mastery coach. Now, perhaps if I had reached out to Will a few years ago, maybe I wouldn't have had to go through treatment. However, that was not the case. And in hindsight, I am so very grateful for my experience at Gateway Foundation. If drugs or alcohol are starting to take over your life, it's time to get honest with yourself and get help. These days, many people are at home or out of work, and the temptation to turn to alcohol and drugs to cope with stress and anxiety is stronger than ever before, right? Stop using now before it's too late. Gateway Foundation is here for you and your family with life-saving inpatient as well as virtual programs so you can access the help you need from the privacy of your own home. Don't wait to get help that you or a loved one needs. Most insurance plans are accepted. Call Gateway Foundation now at 877-505-HOPE. That's 877-505-4673 to schedule a free confidential consultation or you can visit gatewayfoundation.org and get the help that you need today. Now, if you find yourself at a crossroads, I would highly recommend you look into what Will Black is doing with the balanced self. In the meantime, hopefully over these next 45 minutes, as I'm talking with Will, there'll be some nuggets in there that might help you out as well. Okay, enough babbling. You ready? This is my conversation with my good, dear, close friend, Will Black. So I just emerged from an ice cold shower and I feel terrific. (laughs) I did exactly the same just a few minutes ago. I have to admit I'm something of a novice. I like I used to do it occasionally. I used to do the cold shower occasionally when I would be like dealing with depression or if I need to like shock myself, you know, into like alert mode. But so now that I'm doing it every day, which is super groovy, like I get in and the water's like lukewarm, slowly move it to cold. I'm guessing you're a guy who you just dive in with it ice cold, don't you? Yeah, I just turn it straight on. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I got to get there. That's awesome. Yeah, no, it's I mean, it's definitely a gradual process. I mean, I've been doing it for years now, but I definitely remember doing exactly the same of starting maybe in more of the middle and then gradually winding down. And then, yeah, I've just found it to be one of those things that just like turn it like barely on and, and hops right in. I'm going to get there. Baby steps, right? Right. Now, what turned you on to this? Like how did you how did you unlock this mystery of the universe? I mean, I would say like a ton of podcasts, ton of people who I've listened to would recommend cold showers. Like it would just be one of those like reoccurring things I would constantly hear about. I think maybe if there was one figure that like really solidified would probably be like Wim Hof. Like he's the big Icelandic, like climbed Everest in his shorts and has broken like a million world records with doing cold therapy. And a lot of his science behind it and a lot more of like the clinically backed research is, 
I guess why I started making it more of a point and became more of a, I do this sort of every now and then to, I do this every single day. Well, yeah. I mean, I saw on your website that like, I think it's like in your description of yourself, you're like, I take a cold shower daily. So it's like, this is like you and I are on the same wavelength. Like you're three years sober, three years, three months now. Um, I'm two years in change. And you and I both sort of kind of like to grab from here and there. Like we like to fill the shopping carts, like a la carte grabbing from all sorts of like disciplines and stuff. I mean, this is this is part of your well-being. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, interestingly enough, I mean, as far as the science of what goes behind, I mean, cold showers are known to decrease depression, anxiety, and they're good for um, boosting your metabolism, for fat burning. Um, but very much, I mean, that's maybe some of that is why I do cold showers, but more than anything, I mean, it, for me, it puts me into a really good state. Like there is pushing through that discomfort. There is that immediate shock to like alertness, awakeness, like that is, it's really more of a centering practice for me more than anything. It's been tremendously helpful for me. I want to take a trip with you. Are you ready? Absolutely. Okay, I want to go with you. This is going to be like the ultimate come online. I want to go with you to the end of the earth. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Specifically, I want to go to Australia because you were studying abroad, right? In Australia. And this wasn't that sort of a turning point for you where, where you made such a tremendous life change. You decided you, you were going to put down the bottle. You're like, bring me to Australia. What's going on there? Yeah, I mean, Australia was the end of my journey with alcohol. Prior to that, it was six years of binge drinking, pretty consistent, blacking out, on and off, breaks of sobriety, and trying everything and everything in my power to moderate, uh, whether that was counting the number of drinks, or having a meal in between, or having a glass of water, like any, any strategy that's been made, I tried it. Um, and nothing ever worked, no matter, no matter how much, how disciplined I got, whether that was exercise or goal setting or anything, drinking was something I could not get a handle on. And Australia in my head before going was this place I had very much romanticized. It's very, it's a very fun loving culture. It's a very drink focused culture. And it was certainly one where I was I think in the back of my mind thought like, well, at least here I can, I can be myself. I can, I can drink the way I drink and I will. Oh, wow. <laughs> that, so did that factor into your decision-making why you went to Australia? I think so. I mean, I, I never put that together when I was going. I mean, I, I was studying in Tasmania and Tasmania is this like beautiful lush island. It's like 50% national parks and, I I certainly went and thought I was going to surf and to camp and climb. And that was a lot of the reasons why I went there. It was certainly the best part of my experience. Um, but I know, I mean, a big part of my drinking was just wanting that community, wanting to belong, wanting to fit in. Um, and I certainly thought um, in Australia, I might find um, that true acceptance. That's so wild because folks who have checked out your website, listened to your story and stuff, read your book. Like they know that for you drinking, and this is very much for me too, it was trying to fit ourselves into this freaking world where between depression, anxiety and stuff, like we never really felt like 
we fit into any of these pre-prescribed molds that the world gave us. So yeah, for you, you were like, oh, Australia, that's that's the place for me as a problem drinker because that I, it won't be a problem there. Yeah, 100%. I mean, you and I both grew up in the Midwest of the US. Like drinking is like hallmark of the culture. Like, I mean, it very much... The, that behavior is celebrated there um, and Australia was just like that but even more so or at least at least the culture was like a little more laid back than what I would consider the Midwest to be um, but yeah while I was there while I was in school I mean it was the same story that perpetuated throughout my entire time drinking of like started out just fine then started blacking out and then started burning bridges and then ended up in the hospital one night and it just like it just spiraled out of control and I remember waking up one morning after a big night out and just having this sort of epiphany realizing like this this will never work like I have I have tried everything I've tried everything to moderate I've tried moving to a place where drinking is celebrated and it does not work. And so it was just in that moment that I was like, I don't know how to live without drinking, but I know I can't live with it. And so yeah, put down the bottle and then I began this whole sobriety journey. Um, I mean, let's talk about the first few months though, because it's like, you know, for me, it took like when I was 100 years sober, I blasted my story out there. And that became such a huge part of my program because the open and honest was something I had never done before. I mean, those first few months, I know you said you put the bottle down, which is remarkable. It's amazing, but it couldn't have possibly been that simple. You, I've even heard you talk about it, the willpower is like the ultimate fallacy mm. in terms of trying to to beat addiction. So what was it those first few months that got you far enough away from that last drink that you were able to get confident and solid in your in your recovery journey? For sure. Yeah, I would definitely say the early parts of sobriety were most certainly the most challenging. I mean, with that just came this whole new shift in identity. Um and yeah, I mean, I was 24 at the time, like I, all of my social life, all of who I associated with and knew and everything I knew about socializing at the time was evolved in drinking. Um, and so it was this moment of how do I even exist in the world anymore? Like, how do I show up? How, how do I have a social life? How do I have friends? How do I avoid drinking? Um, for myself, I mean, I'll, I guess the big pillars at the time were, one, I got really into strength training, weightlifting. I was like, I, I need something to do. I need something to occupy my mind and my time. And I was like, at, at least if I go to the gym, I'll feel good about that day. Like that, that whole day could be a wash. But if I went and I worked out, I'll be like, okay, that was productive. And then at the same time, I also started getting into meditation. It was one of those cold shower things where I just heard people talking about it and everyone kept saying how good it was, how beneficial it was. And I was like, all right, well, I'm doing something new. Maybe maybe this will be helpful. Um, and meditation was a really great way of, I mean, grounding emotions, finding that calm, finding that peace, like not being overwhelmed by all the anxiety and all the uncertainty and all this new change and confusion in my life at the time. And then I would say the last thing was really plugging into other resources as far as in the sober community. I mean, what gave me the courage and what 
made me know that I could go on this path and this was a worthwhile path was others who had done this themselves. The people who maybe were in a way worse spot than I was and had reached way higher. The people where they were like, I'm a few years in, life has never been better. It's never been brighter. All my relationships, all my my health, everything is better now. And it was listening to their stories, plugging into their insights and following their path that led me out. These obviously aren't like longtime friends or anything like that. These are podcasters and, and, and advocates in the field. Yeah, at the t- I mean, certainly where I was in the world, I I had no sober friends, no no in person communities. So yeah, I was mostly listening to podcasts or YouTube videos. Um, there's a great forum on Reddit, R slut or R stop drinking, um, and that was huge at the beginning. It's just this daily input of people sharing their successes, sharing their failures, sharing what works, what didn't. And that was just a really great place to touch in on a daily, daily basis. I don't know, for several, for several months of just realizing like I'm not alone because I know a big crux of what kept me drinking and what keeps people from stopping is this feeling of isolation. Yeah. Oh, without a doubt. You know, one of my favorite communities is the Instagram community. Mm. Facebook, Twitter are a little more troll laden, I think. (laughs) Um, Whereas I think Instagram by and large is like really, you know, welcoming. And I I love the community on there. And what I kind of found for folks who are looking for that community on there is just find a hashtag that speaks to you. Like for me, every couple of weeks, I'll search the hashtag sober runner. And all of a sudden, there are all these posts. I, I click recent, and I'm finding new people all the time who use running as a part of their sobriety program. A couple of things that you were mentioning before, like the weightlifting thing, which is interesting because people would look at guys like you and me, and they might not like enter us into a bodybuilding competition. <laughs> um, however, yeah, that strength training is huge because you know a lot of people think that you have to go for a run or do cardio in order to burn calories. Whereas like I finally listened to my wife who's been preaching for years, lift the weights, do the strength training because it gets that like prolonged calorie burn going. And I don't know, like, you know, I just had Allison Grady on the podcast who was talking about eating disorders and body dysmorphia and uh, body neutrality and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm kind of wrestling with these concepts of how much do we want to celebrate the body And how much of a slippery slope can that be when our bodies aren't perfect every day? However, when I lift weights every once in a while, I can look at myself and celebrate my body and say to myself, look, my body never looked like that before. I I put in some work and there's actually like some, some meat, some productive meat on my bones now. The other thing that you mentioned meditation, I still suck at meditation. (laughs) But you know what? I do it. I do, as I've heard you say, I do a little bit fairly consistently. So it's just a matter of five, 10 minutes consistently rather than trying to work toward, and I think this is kind of in recovery in general, is rather than trying to work toward, you know, I want to achieve nirvana. I want to meditate for 30 minutes straight. It's a little bit consistently, right? 
100%. Yeah, well, first off with meditation, I mean, even as someone who's practiced for years, like meditation is this wave of sometimes it's really simple, really easy. Sometimes you're in that flow. Other times it's so challenging. And even personally, it, it can be day by day. Like there are sometimes I'm sitting down and my alarm goes off and it was in a flash and then others were kind of fidgety, kind of sitting, and then I like tap the screen and there's like 20 minutes left. Um, it's just, it, it is that ongoing process. And a lot of it, there, there isn't that established consistency, but um, exactly what you're saying. I mean, doing, doing a little bit often, like even if it's just a, a few moments of touching into your breath or just grounding down, like that does, that does so much for you. And it's all about just consistently doing it, repeating those patterns. I mean, that's what allows your brain to come back to that state more consistently and more easily and rest in that place longer. Awesome. Uh, we're, we're transcending a little bit to, uh, to use an appropriate term, but let, let's kind of touch back down in Australia for a minute. So how long were you there after your revelation and, and what were you studying? Uh, so I was pursuing my undergrad in geography. So at the time, I mean, just taking different um, science-based classes. Um, but I was there February to June. So I hit my sobriety April 13th. So it was kind of like the halfway mark. So I was probably there for a um, couple more months or a month and a half. Now, you mentioned something before, the, the burning of the bridges, which my God, I, I was a notorious bridge burner. So you spent another two months in a sunburnt country. And I'm totally dropping that in there because I just read Bill Bryson's book uh, in a sunburnt country and I freaking love it. And I'm kind of obsessed with Australia now. But you spent another two months there. What are those relationships like? I mean, have you do you have some bridges that haven't been burned yet? Or do you sort of kind of go on your own personal journey for those next couple of months before you, because I assume after that you come back to the States, right? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I was um, a little bit of both. I was very fortunate that there were um, friends I kept there that were still solid and we still went and did all our, our outdoorsy things together. There were definitely some that were like that bridge was burned and there was no rebuilding that, no coming back from that. And I mean, that's just a hallmark of the entire time from drinking. And I, I think a big part is also being is being okay with that. I mean, as as much as we evolve, as much as we are no longer those people, like a lot of that damage is done and anyone who can no longer reconnect, like that's totally within their purview and that's completely okay. Like we all need to have those healthy boundaries, healthy relationships. And sometimes the healthiest, best thing to do is to just move on. Yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt. And I, I think that, look, I, I don't want to get too deep into the weeds here, but over the past year or so there, there have been a lot of revelations about folks from my past who I used to be close with. And there's a lot of things that I've learned about them. Again, I'll say it over the past year or so that you sort of have to make peace with the fact that you had some really good times with these folks. You might've been close, but that we're all on our own journeys and God bless them on theirs. God bless me on mine. No, nothing changes the fun that we had together, but you know, our roads diverge at some point. 100%. So you come back stateside, I guess bring us from there because 
you know, some of the things that, that I that I have seen that you've done, the mountain guiding is fascinating to me. You took the trip to Costa Rica in 2019. And what is the term for that? I think that it's also known as uni. Yeah, so I went to Costa Rica um, and I participated in four ayahuasca ceremonies. Uni is another name for the plant medicine the goddess deity in the uh, Shipibo Ikaro tradition. Now, okay, so so walk me through exactly. Uh, now that you met, I, I, I can't believe how misguided I've been. Now that you've said the word out loud, ayahuasca, it, it's like, oh shit, no, I know what that is. Yeah. <laughs> is this something that you latched onto and, the, and that, you, that you continue to work with? Yeah, so, I mean, now we're kind of jumping around the timeline, but yeah, so, I mean, for myself, like, um ayahuasca was an experience again i heard about for many many years as far as the deep healing properties and really like life revelatory experiences people were having and for myself this was an experience i had always felt felt called to knew would happen sort of at some point and at the end of 2019 was a year and a half into sobriety and also just this time where I was starting to take all of these things that I'd sort of dreamed about or envisioned. And I was like, let's like make them happen. Let's get it on a calendar. Like, let's do this. Let's stop making it someday and like making it when. And a year and a half into sobriety, I was also at the very end of my yoga teacher training. And I just felt I was like, this is the time like I've I've healed as much as I can do on my own. Like I've done so much of the work. I'm so far from my addiction. I'm so far from depression and anxiety. Like, let's go see what this medicine has to offer. And so, yeah, I did a little research, found a center that I felt very comfortable with, felt very called to. And I went down there and then, yeah, it was a week-long journey for ceremonies of ayahuasca and uh, certainly, I, I mean, that was honestly the most transformative experience of my life by far. And most certainly where I'm at today, everything I've accomplished since then has been by and large a process of having gotten there and done that. The, this is what I've heard as well from my, uh, from my, I, I've mentioned him to you before, my physical therapist, the guy who has like helped me fix numerous injuries. He does muscle activation therapy. I'm going to go ahead and drop him a plug here. His name is AJ Cavillis uh, from Healthwell Institute out in Crystal Lake, Illinois. Amazing dude, tortured soul, ayahuasca enthusiast. Can you walk me through exactly, are we talking about, because I should have done my homework, is this like a, a hallucinogen or tell me what, what ayahuasca is exactly? Yeah, so it's a psychedelic that um yeah it certainly is a hallucinogen i will say that the experience of ayahuasca is very unique to each individual um there are certainly a friend of mine in my graduate program she she went and did the same thing and many people have no hallucinatory experience whatsoever for some people it's just purely somatic in the body but by and large as far as the testimonials you're going to hear from most people are these like crazy visions and crazy experiences and the way that it's often described and the way that i would describe the journey myself is that ayahuasca comes from two two plants i believe it's a, a leaf and a vine it can be 
brewed from different materials. But the medicine itself is very much a journey, very much metaphorical guiding you. And the way that it was described to me and I would describe it is that it gives you what you need, not necessarily what you want. Hmm. And so having that in mind before going down, I went down very, very open-minded and very almost intentionless. Like I, I just wanted to experience whatever I needed to heal. And then as the week went on, like the very first night, you're given like a small introductory dose to see how, how you react to it, what, what the experience is like. And then you have a meeting with the facilitators and the maestros to talk about your experience and what you would like to do with the rest of the week. From there, then like each night, there was a little bit of setting intentions as far as this is what I'd like to work on. This is what I'd like this night to be about or to experience. But it's like a five-hour journey, but it is several eternities and epochs. Like, it doesn't even come close to that. So, I mean, it went from the most, like, like deeply horrifying, like, unpacking childhood traumas and unpacking addiction. And, like, at, at one night, um, depression, the way I was experiencing was, like, my mind became like different personalities solidified into beings and depression was there as this like unwanted ugly guest that was just taking up space and it was like all the rest of my personality came together and just like cast it out as like you are no longer welcome here you have no space here so there was there was that which was like painful i mean it it felt like my soul being cleansed but like the necessity of that not necessarily being pleasant. And then from there also having the complete opposite spectrum of the most interconnected feelings of the beauty of being alive and the beauty of being a human and how lucky we are. And especially to be there. I mean, everyone who I went had that experience with, I mean, I'd never felt so touched by such beautiful humanity. Everyone is sharing and supporting and lifting each other up. Like it was, it was beyond words. After that uncomfortable cleansing and casting out, you had to have felt exhausted physically, mentally, and emotionally, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, 100%. Like, I distinctly remember one night, it was like every thought I was having was this loop, and it felt like it truly went on for an eternity. And it was like the only way that loop would break was just coming to acceptance with it, of just being like, if this is how it's going to be, like, this is how it is. And like, I just have to be okay with that. And I remember that was the third night and the fourth night going in, I was, my only intention, I was like, okay, like, I'm, I'm ready to hear anything, but I, I cannot do that one again. <laughs> <laughs> this will break me, right? Yeah. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, I mean, leaving, uh, I mean, there was just so much to unpack. Like, it was like, how do I, how do I digest? How do I integrate all this information, this wisdom? How do I carry it into my life? How do I how do I live now, like in this new paradigm? That, I guess that's leading me to my other, my next question is like compare and contrast yourself before and after, because you have to be so night and day different. 
like when I think about recovery, when I think about training for a marathon, when I think about building toward anything, growth is so incremental that when I think about that experience that you had, that seems like a shitload of growth really, really fast. How did you reacclimate to everyday life after that? So it was very strange. Um, like the day after I was actually, I was moving again uh, internationally. Uh, I was volunteering in Japan. I was doing a woofing program, but it was, it was the most perfect circumstances to do it because my life there was very simple as far as I was working at this little ski chalet. And it was like, all I had to do was like cook breakfast and make beds and like drive guests in the van. Um, and then outside of that, I just had a lot of time to process and decompress or spend time in nature. And it was this gradual coming back of like, okay, who, who am I now in this regular world? How do I come back? And as far as the differences of before and after, especially after a lot of integration, I would say a lot of the biggest was really a sense of self-assuredness, a sense of confidence, of feeling that I have worth, of feeling that I don't have anything to hide, of being comfortable, being different. I mean, like there were there were things I didn't necessarily like internalize as being proud of or uh, part of my identity I was really comfortable with. I mean, even even being sober, like being sober to me was is such a phenomenal thing. It takes so much conviction and courage to recognize that you have an issue, to go against the grain and to stay with it. But even with all that, I still held so much residual, like I'm different, like I don't fit in. I can't control myself. And a lot of the ayahuasca experience was just really letting go of those. I mean, even with other psychedelics, I mean, prior to that, mostly I had experience with psilocybin and I would never discuss that openly except with maybe people that I was like, oh, like, I, I think you're cool or I don't think you'll get me in trouble or anything like that. And I remember just thinking, like, I have nothing to hide. Like, we're at this forefront period in time where, I mean, there is new research every single day um, as far as the effects on mental illness, depression, and anxiety, which, I mean, especially after the pandemic, like, this is so important. And these tools are so powerful to help and to heal. And I remember just feeling like I'm not going to be quiet anymore. Like, I did this, like this transformed my life. Like I know how beneficial this is. Like I don't care about stigma anymore. I don't care like opinions. I mean, especially in the Midwest, like there's just so much like anything that is non-traditional or has. Well, you're in Denver now, aren't you? Yeah, I live in Denver. Yep. So you're okay. Yeah, here is fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just when you go back home, you might run into some static. Well, and, and hey, this would be different if you were like Will from accounting. Come on. I mean, <laughs> you're, you're Will, the mindfulness meditation guru, you know? I mean, and it's the same way for me that if I was Christopher, newspaper editor, there's no way in hell I could do this podcast. 
So I think there's a certain amount of like you and I are just spoiled as hell. And it, but it's, it's truly a privilege and it's humbling that we can sort of, I don't know, that we can sort of be those vessels of, infor- of information and inspiration that people can grab onto. Now, in order for me to get there, you know, I went through treatment and that might be the path for a number of people. It also might be just a matter of seeing a therapist, getting on proper medications. In order to find out the proper road to recovery, I highly recommend reaching out to my friends at DUI and Behavioral Health Counseling Centers here in Northern Illinois. Folks, if you or someone you love might have an issue with drinking, drugs, mental illness, or anger management, it's time to get in touch with my friends at DUI and Behavioral Health Counseling Centers here in Northern Illinois. It's time to set up an assessment. You've got nothing to lose. Depending on your situation, the assessment could be free. If you're loaded, it's going to run you 80 bucks. That's the max. If you're a veteran, an NIU student, or unemployed, you're going to get a break. My friend Ron Parch and his team use their 25 years of experience to build an individualized treatment plan that's confidential and effective. They approach people in distress with respect, and I cannot stress enough how important that is to feel respected when you're going through something. DUI and Behavioral Health Counseling Centers has offices in Sycamore, Plano, and Crystal Lake. Check out DUISycamore.com or call 815-895-9000 and set up an evaluation today. Write this down, folks. Call 815-895-9000, visit DUISycamore.com, or you can email DUIBHS at gmail.com. All right, so I'm going to take a little bit of a detour and just just trust me, this is going somewhere. I want to nerd out here for just a second because speaking of my 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 uh, my occupation as a freelance journalist, I write for a healthcare system down in Texas, Baylor Scott and White, and I'm working on a story on their telestroke team. So like telemedicine in terms of treating strokes, sometimes like when they do a thrombectomy and they go into the brain to remove a blood clot. Like sometimes like they get done with the first pass and then they do an x-ray, they do like an injection of some sort to look at the blood clot and examine it. And sometimes it isn't all gone. So they have to go back in there and scrape again and continue to remove this blood clot. To me, that sort of reminds me of your ayahuasca experience where you're going in there and you're removing like all of this trauma and all of this, all this gunk that's that's clotting the way that your brain works. I mean, do you go back for another pass or do you get done with the first time? And it's like, everything's been cast out. All my, all my shortcomings are gone. I am calm as a Hindu cow for the rest of my life. I'm set. I, I, I certainly plan to go back at some point in time. Certainly like, I mean, I, I remember leaving just feeling like I have so much information. I have, I have, I have so much to do now. Like it was like, I, I was given so much and it's like, now the time is to go back into like normal life and like, and do the work, integrate it and come back to it. I mean, I mean, everyone has their own journeys as far as what is appropriate for them. I mean, I know some people there were there for a couple of weeks and doing a lot of work, and I could definitely imagine a lot of value in that. I felt that what I was given gave me so much to work with and that I really felt that it, now the time was to go back into my day-to-day and integrate it. I, 
I, I most certainly didn't feel like it, it cured me in any way. I mean, uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I don't think our, I always describe it like I don't think our healing journeys ever end. Like I don't think there's a time when we're like complete. Like health is something. I, I don't know. It's like fitness. Like a, especially like growing up in the '90s. Like there was this really silly idea that like fitness was something only for like healthy people it was like just to get in shape and then once you do that you're done it's like no this is like a <laughs> daily part of life eight minute abs dude eight minute abs <laughs> buy the new bowflex it works four times harder <laughs> for 15 minutes quicker <laughs> i mean those ads were so hard target locked <laughs> to people and sort of this fast food society, right? Like you push the button, you get results, you buy the Bowflex and you're going to be ripped, right? Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I certainly imagine going back at some point in time, I think there's still much, still so much I can use from it. It's also like, it is just an ordeal. Like, it is like frightening and inspiring, like imagining going back. I mean, it is, if uh, there was a metaphor, I mean, it'd be like skydiving. Like, it's just like, once you jump out of that plane, like you're going, there's no going back in. So um, I haven't felt called to it since. I mean, I have been living in this like post pandemic era. Like there was certainly no drive to go down to Costa Rica while that was all happening, but I'm I'm sure there will be a time when I return, but for now, it's there's more work to be done here. I'm having so much fun, and this is why I absolutely love chatting with people such as yourself because I have no idea what I'm going to learn on a conversation by conversation basis. Had no idea we were going down this rabbit hole, and this is terrific. Um, I you know I'm going to have to put a content warning on the top of the episode, of course. And I, and now in that spirit, you said it before that you did your research on this. Like you went prepared with the right mindset. To me, this kind of feels like if, if you were to step through a portal, you want somebody on the other side of that portal with a rope, right? That, that, that they can pull you back. Like you want to have all the safeguards in place to do stuff like this. Like here, here's something that I've struggled with. Like, I'm terrified to pick up a joint again. I don't even want to touch that because to me, it feels like a slippery slope. Even with non-alcoholic drinks, like there's this thing where I'll be on Instagram and I'll see all of these athletic brewing ambassadors like pouring their non-alcoholic beers and like this romanticizing of drinking non-alcoholic beers. And to me, it's like, holy shit. That is so fucking triggering for a lot of people, I have to think. Like, I remember the day that I had my first non-alcoholic beer. Like, I, I sat there and I stared at it for like an hour. And I was like, okay, I've got my safety nets. I have everything in place so that when I drink this and I enjoy it, I don't immediately hop in the car, go back to the liquor store and, and buy the, re the real thing. So, so yeah, th this definitely warrants sort of a content warning. I think you've already said it, but what would your best advice be for somebody who wants what you have and, and to have that cleansing experience? Because you have my attention, but is this not necessarily for everybody or could it be for anybody who properly prepares for it? Does that make sense? 100% 
And I would certainly be very cautious with my words. I guess the biggest thing I would say with all psychedelics is that they are most certainly not for everyone. Um, anyone with a family history of psychosis, um, it, it can be super damaging. I mean, very famously, um, Sid Barrett of uh, Pink Floyd, like in like the 70s, like did too much LSD and completely lost his mind. Um, there's like this famous photo of him coming into the recording studio, like 200 pounds heavier and shaved head, and they had no idea who he even was. So for anyone where that might be a family history, a medical thing, I mean, that could be super damaging um, in that realm. Fortunately, as far other than that is concerned, I mean, with things like um, psilocybin, um, mushrooms, um, like there, there's been like no reported deaths. It's like impossible. Like we don't, we have no idea what a lethal dose is. Like it can't happen. And with ayahuasca it's very similar. I, I know where I was, like there was a clinic nearby. I think there's more potential. Like I, it's so low, so unlikely, but like there, there could be something. I mean, that was a big part of why I went somewhere where I, I trusted the environment. I knew I would be safe. And if, if something happened, I would be okay. But I would say more than anything, like I, I certainly remember leaving and feeling so transformed, feeling so healed. And I remember like knowing that I would have to be very careful with how I speak about it because it's certainly nothing I would ever recommend to someone. I wouldn't be like, you should go do this. Like this would be so good for you. What's most important to me and what I think is most valuable is I share my experience. I'm happy to answer any questions, give like the greatest insight. And I think then for anyone who's curious, anyone who has interest, it's about that self-exploration. Like I think it is so important to ask yourself the big questions of what are you hoping to game? What are you comfortable with? What are you not comfortable with? I mean, if there is one running theme in psychedelics, it's the ability to let go. And you were letting go of quite a lot. Like you were letting go of like the threads of your ego and your sense of reality. And like it is surrendering to that experience. Is there anything you let go of that you miss? Absolutely not. No. <laughs> That's kind of the ultimate uh, like pitch. Yeah. To me. And I guess that's sort of the ego thing. And that's the way that like things that we think are good for us and that we cherish and those romantic memories that we have, like we think that they're like part of us, but they're not. I guess to me, that question is like when people have asked me, like, do you miss drinking? Mm. Or if you could, would you start drinking again? Yeah. Like if, if nothing bad were to happen and like, I, at least just personally, I mean, it's like my life is in every capacity better for having quit drinking. My life in, is better in every capacity for having done ayahuasca. There's nothing about before that I would romanticize or be like, I wish I could go back to that. Yeah, that's super dope. All right. So that was in what, late 2019? Yep. All right. So help me out with the timeline. When did you uh, start doing the, when did you write your book and when did you open up, uh, when did you start your business, which is called The Balanced Self? Yeah, so immediately after I moved to Japan, um, I think it was end wait, of- Wait, 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 wait. I, <laughs> I, I don't think I knew this. 
<laughs> yeah, um, right, uh, right after ayahuasca, like the day after I moved to Japan where I was uh, volunteering. Okay, so ayahuasca comes with a warning. Yeah. <laughs> may lead to dramatic life choices. <laughs> this was all set up beforehand, okay. but uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe they go in and they actually, that's so funny, um, one of uh, the integration things they say on your way home is like, don't make any like big radical life choices. And I was like, um, well, like I already did that. <laughs> Again, I won't do anything the, else. <laughs> it's the same thing they tell you when you get sober. Like I know there's a lot of like fellowship programs, 12 step programs where they're like, okay, for the first year, you're not allowed to date anybody. <laughs> a little extreme. Anyway. So I'm sorry. You, so you moved to Japan. Why? Um, it was, it was interesting. It was just this time of life where it, it made sense. Like I was, I was graduating yoga teacher training. Um, my, my lease was up at my apartment. It was like after undergrad, like I was just in this like transitionary period in life of not really certain what I wanted to do, or I mean, even where I wanted to live. And then I just got this opportunity to go to Japan and I was like, why not do that? That sounds awesome. And then, but yeah, it was while I was there, I would say end of January or beginning of February that I started writing my book. And the impetus or the beginning of that was, again, really, really feeling I was like, okay, I've, I've done so much work now. I have accumulated so much knowledge and so much insights over the past several years of quitting drinking and healing, like learning all these modalities. And I was like, what do I do with this? Like, how can I help others? Like what, what would be useful? And I'd always wanted to write a book and I was like, cool, this, this will be another one of those things. Like I'll write a book. Um, I'll share everything that I knew intimately that, that I had personal experience with, like all the resources, all the tools that helped me and I'll just put it all in a book. And yeah, that was for, for most of 2020, my um, like big personal project. Yeah. I published it, uh, December, 2020. Yes. Okay, so so you're in Japan. You start uh, writing that in January uh, 2020. Uh, how long were you living in Japan? Uh, three months. Okay. And so right at the very tail end of my time there was when the pandemic. So you barely made it back. Yeah, no, I actually came back a couple days earlier because it was like things were starting to shut down and get a little dicey. Uh, but yeah, I got back and then like... Uh, it was like a couple days later, we went to full quarantine. And then the, the business. Yeah. So in, again, like, I, I guess a lot of 2020 was just like, kind of that like coming back into the world. So I had, while I was in Japan, I was continuing to study yoga, continuing to practice, um, living out of my home in Denver, it's the middle of the pandemic. And I remember um, we had this big like shared communal space. I remember hanging out with my neighbors and they're like, we should like do yoga here. I was like, yeah, that sounds awesome. Like, let's do it. I started doing that and I really fell in love with teaching. Like I, I had no idea I would really like teaching. Um, like I knew I loved yoga, but I didn't know if I would like that aspect of it. And I was like, okay, I like teaching, can do something with this, but you no know, studios, like everything is closed. How, how can I do this? And so I founded my company, The Balanced Self, and initially for most of last year was doing uh, corporate wellness, uh, like teaching yoga over Zoom and to private clients. Um, and yeah, that was really, with any ventures, with anything I've been a part of, it was how do I take these modalities, these practices, help and heal others? 
So, uh, so you started out with, with corporate work. Uh, what about today? Like folks can find you by going to willowenblack.com. Tell me about what you offer because it went from like a corporate emphasis to now you'll do groups and one-on-one stuff. Am I right? Yeah. Now I honestly, I pivoted everything to one-on-one coaching. Corporate wellness was really awesome. Like I, I really loved my students. I really loved being able to help people, especially because everyone was just trapped at home and so many like they weren't moving their bodies, they were unhealthy, but it felt very limiting um, as far as like the true impact and like the true way to make a difference. I mean, if you're doing like one yoga class a week, like that's better than nothing, but that's not real transformation. That's not real healing. And yeah, I ended up getting connected with a mentor of mine, uh, Kiran. Uh, shout out to Mind Guy Official. <laughs> um, but he really encouraged me to pivot my business towards coaching, and that's what I do now. So now I do personal coaching one on one, mostly through Zoom, but I do a bit of in person here in Denver with some of my clients that are here. But coaching has been a really more transformative, really more holistic experience as far as. I mean, with my programs, ultimately, like my mission and what I'm helping people achieve is self-discipline. And self-discipline really is the means so that you can spend your time, like you do the things you need to, so you can do the things that you love doing. Like it, it is the key to taking control of your life, control of your time, control of your mind, your body, your emotions. And through coaching, been able to focus on all of the elements. So not just yoga, not just meditation, but really taking into account everything from goal setting, nutrition, time management, like these programs. I I have a structured program as far as the way the timeline and the way clients can expect to go through their growth and their transformation. But then everything has that personal element as far as like meeting people where they are, because some people have been doing fitness for a while. And it's like, great, we're going to go on to like more of the mindfulness. And some people like the physical aspect is what they need first, and really just being able to be flexible. And yeah, that's been really beautiful. I'm also pursuing my master's right now in counseling psychology. And I, I guess the way I've kind of differentiated the two is to me, like therapy is working on the past, doing a lot of the healing. And coaching is working on building your future, building that that dream life, that ideal life, that life you knew you're always capable of and destined for. At the risk of oversimplifying this, I have to think that like the end goal with folks is them finding their why, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, our our why is such a driving force. I mean, it is the absolute biggest thing behind everything. I mean, it's like, on unpacking or like digging down into that deep nugget but it our why is truly what guides and leads our entire life because with anything like someone will start with like i want to get into meditation it's like why well it's like well i want to be more grounded and it's like why and then it's like the more you dive like deeper into that like that's when you find like someone's true motivation like what it is that is unique about them what it is they want in life and it's like from there, then we move outward. This feels like like the centuries old like scene of like <laughs> the guru sitting across from the student and just repeating, 
why? Why? <laughs> Just keep digging. <laughs> well, clearly you love what you do. And on the topic of love, how does this happen? Like recently I saw that you uh, shared a post of another celebration of an anniversary. Did you find love during the pandemic? I did, yeah. Uh, I met my- How the hell did that happen? <laughs> uh, yeah, I met my current girlfriend and partner last year, last last June, June 19th. Yeah, and that was, I mean, that was really beautiful. Like it was, it was oddly like one of the best years like it possibly could have happened because like we spent our summer and fall, like we went, camping every weekend and explore together like because I mean everything was shut down so it was like well we can only spend time together and I mean yeah I felt like we ex I mean it, it certainly felt like more than one year of experience um, jam-packed into one with just the the depth and the, the joy that we were able to cultivate together um, yeah it was really really tremendously beautiful I'm so lucky to have her in my life and was such a guiding force of my life last year and I mean certainly behind the balance self and the book like everything she's been beyond supportive and encouraging and inspiring and uplifting and I certainly would not be here today without without her presence well speaking of the super important females in our life uh, one of the very first things that I noticed when I hopped on to the Balance Self for the first time, your website, I, I noticed a familiar name when I saw Luna. So one of the very first things I sent to you was like, oh, you have a Luna too. And I shared a picture of my, or I don't remember, I shared a picture of my Husky. I have this Husky puppy, Luna, who is about a year and a half. How is your Luna coming along? She's She's training to be an emotional support dog. How's the discipline coming? Uh, she is much better. Um, her, <laughs> <laughs> her progress is improving. But yeah, Luna is a seven-month-old golden retriever, and she still has quite a lot of energy and quite a lot of discipline issues. <laughs> uh, fortunately, I mean, she learns super quick, super smart, but yeah, I mean, she's just a ball of energy. So she she requires a lot of walking, a lot of playtime, but she is, she is absolutely lovely. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> definitely, yeah, I very much remember uh, connecting, uh, seeing, seeing your Luna too. I feel like a Husky's got to be even crazier. Oh my gosh. Without a doubt, you know, we're training for that 50K. So she actually ends up running more miles than us each week because one of us will get back and hand the dog off to the other. We're on this eternal mission to sap her of her energy. Yet the moment that we get home and don't take her back out, she goes right after our black lab. It's just right, <laughs> right back to terrorizing him. It's it's insane. I mean, my kids are seven, so I like I see the boundless energy of them, but they got nothing on Luna. She is just eternally spunky. Okay, so we talked about dogs. We talked about finding love during the pandemic. We've talked about recovery. We talked about psychedelics. Man, this has been fun. Yeah, this is, I, I always love with conversations like this, especially because, yeah, you never never know where it's going to jump or lead to. Uh, yeah, this has been quite the wild ride. Appreciate your time. And uh, I'll, I'll look forward to sort of, you know, circling back as Luna gets older 
And maybe the next time we catch up is when she starts working as a service dog, when she's like five and all that puppy energy is on right? <laughs> Absolutely. That's the dream. All right, my dude. Well, thanks for spending some time and thanks for doing what you do and putting so much good out into the world. Well, thank you, Christopher. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here and share. And yeah, thank you for all that you do. This This podcast is such a wonderful medium to bring a lot of really inspiring voices together. And I'm glad to be one small, small part of this incredible community you're building. Uh, bigger than you realize. And you know what? This is my why. So this is, you know, w- we found it, man. You know, cheers to us, right? It's beautiful. All right, dude. Well, we'll talk soon. Okay. Take care of yourself. Sounds good. Take care. I right, see you well. How's that brain feel, folks? Is your mind thoroughly blown like mine is? I had an absolute blast talking with Will. I know there's a lot of nuggets that I'm going to come away with just for everyday practices in my recovery journey. If you hear what Will is talking about and you would like to work with him, go to willowenblack.com or simply search for The Balanced Self on Google that's going to take you where you're going. So grateful for him joining us. Again, so very thankful that you are here, that we're working together to build this community where we talk about all these things the society wants to keep in the dark. Mental illness, recovery, addiction, self-love. Man, I'm so grateful that I get to do the work with you. Until our next episode, you can catch me on Instagram. It's at 40,000 underscore steps every Tuesday and Thursday morning at 8 a.m. Central Standard Time. You can catch me on there for an IGTV talk. Until we meet again, folks, just remember, if it feels like everything outside of this space is falling apart, right here, we are always coming together. Love you very much, and we'll catch you soon. Peace.